You have Matthew 25 open to everybody? You got Matthew 25? Let's read. Then we'll pray and see what the Lord has for us. This is Matthew 25 and verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming! Go out to meet him! Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that you would open our minds so we get it. You have been repeating yourself to us over the last few weeks, Lord. And I pray that, that we are hearing what you're saying. That we are understanding your teaching. And that we will really consider what you're saying to us and what that means for us today. Lord, we pray for the rest of this time together that we have. The, uh, the teaching time, the fellowship time, a time of praise at the end. Lord, that your Spirit would be directing all that we, that we do. Lord, we don't want to come with just our preconceived notions and our, our, our ruts, but to be open, to sing a new song, and to have a fresh vision and fresh revelation from You about the time we live in. Lord, crack open our, any hard hearts. Bust open, Lord, any, any minds that are closed. That Your Spirit would come in on us with power and with great glory. And arrest our hearts, Lord, so that we can live for You ready. And I pray this Bible study would, would be just ammunition that You would use, Lord, to educate our spirits about who You are and what Your plans are for the future. Lord, have Your way in us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, that's better, that's better. Well, we have been in the uh, Olivet Discourse, uh, chapters 24 and 25. It is Jesus' last formal teaching before He is crucified. And you guys know that oftentimes for a public speaker, 
they tell you the things that matter most are the things you say first and the things you say last. So in some ways, he started off with the Sermon on the Mount, and he ends with the second Sermon on the Mount. Different mountains, but two sermons on a hill. This one is on the Mount of Olives. And I think what he says last, and and what he spends a great deal of time on, he continues to repeat himself. And the repeated theme for this, this sermon that he's preaching is that nobody knows when he's going to come back. And so what that means to us, if we don't know, it means we need to always be ready. To always be ready. And that's the, the continued, hey, be ready, be ready, be ready. And then he gives examples. Like in Noah's day, there's a whole bunch of people that weren't ready. And judgment came on them like a flood, you could say. And they were unprepared and they, they fell into the judgment and the condemnation of that time. And God is saying to you, to every precious person here, it doesn't have to be that way. You can be ready. If you, and, and we're going to talk more about this this week in the parable. Some people call it the parable of the ten bridesmaids. I might call it the parable of unpreparedness. But then we'll do a very famous one the next week, the parable of the talents. How many of you already knew that the parable of the talents was spoken with regard to Jesus' second coming? It's taught often in churches, but often apart from its context, which is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And, and many of you may not believe that. And you will be unprepared. And that's the whole point, is it takes faith to believe. Just like in Noah's day, for 120 years, Noah preached and everybody thought he was a kook. And then one day, the whole world found out that kook was right. And here we are, church, still saying 2,000 years later, hey, we believe Jesus is coming back. And the world looks at us and goes, yeah, right. Everything is just going to continue on, you know, as it's been, and there's nothing new under the sun. And, and someday, the world will find out in an instant, in a moment, that the Word of God was true all along. And it's going to be a hard day because I'm going to be like, yes, finally, you know, vindication. But, then, but the sad part is there's going to be a whole lot of people that are going to die that day. And so that's the sad part of it because they were, as these bridesmaids, unprepared. So only find this parable in Matthew, and not in any of the other Gospels. Uh, many of you already know parables are uh, practical stories from daily life that teach spiritual truths. So the parable begins with, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to, or compared to, or, or um, assimilated to, ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now a virgin, the word virgin just means a young girl who is not yet married. And the assumption is that a young girl who's not yet married would be a virgin. And that's not always true today. But uh, certainly in their day and age they were married very young. And these would be ten young women of the age to get married but had not yet been married. We might call them bridesmaids. They're like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps or literally their torches... We'll talk about that more later. 
and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, this is an odd picture for us in Western civilization because for us, a wedding means months of preparation, got to get the photographer, got to get the DJ, got to rent the hall, got to find the church, got to, you know, all these preparations, got to buy the dresses, all the thing. It's huge. And you know the exact date and you know the exact time and it's planned ahead. And everybody shows up at the church and the wedding proceeds. That's nothing like a Palestinian wedding. A Palestinian wedding had three parts to it. The first part would have been sort of um, the arrangement for the marriage. And that was when uh, the fathers, the, the families would get together. They had decided that this would be the union, a, a little arranged marriage. And, and they would work out the price that would be exchanged. You know, The bride was going to leave her family and she was worth something to the family because she worked in the garden and she helped in the house. So to lose this young girl from your home, so the, the groom's family would offer a price for her and, and all of these things would take place and they'd agree on it. This, this time of really engagement. But then there was a, the second small ceremony. Once they agreed upon all these terms, the fathers would shake hands, the, the kids would come in and there'd be a betrothal Ceremony, and it's what we would probably call that the engagement, but for them it was a betrothal. Mary and Joseph, remember they had been betrothed to one another, means they were engaged, but more. For us, engagements are sort of like, well, that's sort of, we're almost there, but not quite. You know, we still got some wiggle room. But for them, betrothal was so serious and so much like and as if the marriage was solidified that if the groom died, during the betrothal, then the bride was considered a widow, even though they had not come together as married, consummated the marriage. And not only that, but if, if the bride or groom cheated on their, their betrothed mate, that would be considered adultery, even during that betrothal time. So a very serious time. So the betrothal period would last about a year. And during that time, the groom would go back to his father's house and he would begin to build an addition onto the house or a house next door that would then be where he he and his bride would live. So once the house was done, then the father would tell the son, go get your bride. And he would go at a time when no one was, was expecting it. He would go and come sort of, it was kind of a fun game the groom would play to try to sneak up on and surprise the bridal party. And so he would come and get his bride and the whole procession would go back to the father's house for a huge, uh, big, week-long celebration. Now, we go away for our honeymoon. They stayed home for their honeymoon. So for seven days, they would stay home with their closest friends and relatives and celebrate. And it was the most glorious time in your life for them. It was the most celebrated time of their lives. It was very important. And that's when the wedding would be consummated and they would celebrate. So that's the background of this parable. You have to understand that because... So we see this, this, uh, this summary of the parable in the first verse. The bridesmaids were waiting with the bride-to-be. And, and the, the, bride, the groom is coming... And they're waiting there with the bride to go out and, and meet the groom. Or some say, and, and this is the funny thing about this parable, is the bride is really not mentioned. Some say the bride is coming with the groom. Or some say she's with the bridesmaids waiting for the groom. We don't know. 
but let me give you, let me ease your mind. It's not important to the meaning of the parable. We have to be real careful. Some people read parables like this and they read into everything. Everything has a symbol and they try to make everything mean and they try to weave it all together and it just gets to be confusing mess. These parables are simple. I want to show you how simple this is. Just look down at verse 13. What's this parable about? Verse 13 tells us, watch therefore. What is Jesus trying to teach us in this parable? He's trying to teach us to watch, to be awake and to be ready when when he comes back. That's the meaning of the parable. That's the meaning. So it's not confusing unless we try to superimpose all kinds of analogies and symbolism here. So verse 2 says, Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. The focus is on the bridesmaids. The groom and the bridesmaids are who are in focus. The bride is not in focus. The parents aren't in focus. The groom and the bridesmaids. And, and there's, there's ten of them. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Ten is the normal number in the wedding party. It's just, not, you know, there's ten of them. And, and they look alike. You know, there's, there's five of one kind and five of another. Outwardly, they look this, they're all dressed as they all got the same dresses on. You know, they're, they're identical in every way except for a condition, an inward condition. God says five were foolish and five were wise. It doesn't say five were college grads and five only had an elementary school education. We're not talking about smart and dumb. How many of you know there's a difference between being smart and being wise? I know a lot of really smart people that don't, aren't very wise. And how many of you know that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? You can have the most brilliant Ph.D. professor from Harvard, and if he does not or she does not understand the Lord and the things of God and understand the world through that context, then that person will not know how to live right. Despite all of the degrees and all that stuff, there will be an aspect missing that will make them make unwise choices with their time, with their money, with their lives. Somebody, is that true? But the beautiful thing is, the Bible says the Word of God gives understanding to the simple. See, if you go, well, I'm just a simple guy. I'm just a simple woman. I, I'm not very educated. Well, look, you can sit here and you can hear about being ready for Jesus to come. And you can go, oh, I get it. I'll be ready. And that makes you wiser than most people. So this is the difference between these two groups of, of bridesmaids. Five were wise and five were foolish. Well, what made them... It doesn't say five were righteous and five were sinful. Foolish and wise. Well, what's the difference? Verse 3 says, Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Okay? Uh, Let me just read verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. So... Again, these, these uh, ten bridesmaids are very similar. They all have lamps. And, and while the bridegroom delays, they all sleep. There's no condemnation in this parable against everybody being asleep. But, so, so they all look the same. The difference was that the foolish ones only took their lamp. Now the lamp or the torch literally would have been a long stick with a little cage on top and you would have soaked rags 
in oil and stuffed them in that cage and you lighted and it would give light. And that was, you know, when the, when the wedding would start in the evening, they would, the procession would go and all the lamps would be, the torches would be burning and everybody would see, hey, there's a wedding and create a lot of excitement and everybody had to have the, their torch. And everybody carried with them a little flask of oil to help keep the lamp burning. Except for these foolish bridesmaids who didn't. Five of them had the extra oil. And that's the whole, this is the, the crescendo of the, the parable centers around the oil. The oil is the issue. Some had it, some didn't. And Jesus knew, you know, he, he, even in his parable, he says, look, the bridegroom was delayed. And so Jesus knew that on one hand, he's telling the church, he's telling people, the world to be ready, but on the other hand, he's saying it might be a while. There, there's gonna, he knew they expected him to come back right away. Acts chapter 1. Hey, are you going to set up your kingdom now, Jesus? And he knew there was going to be a long day. The delay has been 2,000 years. And who knows how much longer the delay is going to continue. And the problem is if you've ever waited up for somebody, parents, if you've waited up for your kids, when your kids get their driver's license and they're out late and you go, oh man, I can't sleep, I've got to wait, make sure they're home safe, and, and you sit at home and you wait up, and the later it gets, the harder it gets to stay awake, doesn't it? Especially the older you get, <laughs> the harder it gets to stay awake. Man, I find myself nodding off a lot earlier than I used to. And so there's no... Con- look. Because Christ is, is, has not come back yet, there is, we, life goes on, right? Life is happening and we get involved in life and, and there's no condemnation for that. Everybody, the ones that had the oil, the ones that didn't have the oil, they all fell asleep while they were waiting because there was a delay. The bridegroom, they were expecting him to come and he didn't come and he didn't come and so they're all sitting around with their lamps, all the ten girls, and they get tired of gossiping, they get tired of talking about boys, they get tired of telling stories and... Who nods off first? You know, it's not about the, the ones without the oil nodded off first. And they all nodded off. They, they were sort of waiting and they, they, they fell into that sleep. Jesus is coming at a time when no one is expecting Him. Nobody. It will be expect, not, nobody's going to be expecting Him. So what happens? Well, the bridegroom was delayed. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight... That's kind of late. i am already been in for a couple of hours by midnight. At midnight, a cry was heard. So the groom comes, and he brings a front man with him, a best man, and maybe the, the groom's party here. And the cry comes out, Behold, the bridegroom, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. And, oh, they just got they get startled. Oh, wow. Did you, did you guys hear that? Oh, he's coming. He's, oh, get, get ready, get ready. He's coming. We've got to go out to meet him. It, it's on. The wedding is on. And verse 7 says, Then all those virgins, those young girls, arose and they trimmed their lamps or they prepared their torches. So they begin to light them. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Light them up, light them up. But something was wrong. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. You see, the ones that were prepared, they, they freshly doused their torches with, with new oil. With fresh oil. And lit them and they burned bright. The others who had no extra oil, they lit theirs, but it would go out. A little smoke and it would go out. A little smoke and it would go out. And it created for them a frantic 
situation. When Jesus Christ comes back, there will be those that are unprepared. Now, just a few weeks ago, we had a pretty major storm. We all follow in the summertime, hurricanes come through and we watch the stories from North Carolina and the different places where people prepare. And, and maybe it was you during Y2K, maybe you prepared, you heard all the computers are going to crash and you stored up wheat and you still got like 50, you know, barrels, barrels of, of, of rice in your basement or something because of Y2K. And it, but people prepared. And I know now for us, when we hear there's going to be a storm, because we're like at the end of the line, electrically speaking. So we tend to lose our power for a long time when we lose it. So we fill the bathtub with water. And we get all the, the lamps or the uh, flashlights charged up. And we make sure we got the candles. And oh, where's the, where'd you put the lighter? And we can never find a lighter when we need one, right? It's like we got 16 of them and no one knows where any of them are when it comes time for a storm. So we've learned the hard way that when we hear a storm is coming, we just get ready. You know why we learned that? Because so many times we were unprepared. We forget the lights are going to go out, we, you know, and we just go, ah, storm's coming through, cool, we'll watch the lightning, and then boom, power goes out. And then we're, we're groping around in the dark going, oh, okay, where are the candles? Where we put the lighters? Where is everything? Unprepared. We didn't take advantage of, of the warning to prepare for what was coming. And if you'll prepare, if I'll prepare for a hurricane... You know, because once the hurricane comes, you, know, you can't go down to the lumber store. It's all gone. The wood is all gone. The flashlights are gone. The milk and bread are all sold out. What is with milk and bread? Why can, we can't live without milk and bread. I'm, I'm looking for you know, some, some other staples. Milk and bread during a storm. I don't know. Look, folks. You cannot get ready. You have to be ready. Let's read a little bit farther. We'll talk about this oil. Because Jesus does, so what does the oil, you know, the, the groom, we know who he is. Who's the groom? Jesus. Who are the bridesmaids? These are people that are on the earth when Christ returns. And this is the qualifications for entering into the kingdom. What is the oil? Jesus doesn't tell us what the oil is. We'll get there. So the virgins arose, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. You can't, whatever this oil is, you can't get it from another person. You have to get it from the source. Oil is fuel for fire. Right? Oil is fuel. And I don't know, we can speculate about what the oil is. I, I, they all had a lamp, but not all of them had enough oil. Not all of them had this outside source. Is the oil faith? Possibly. Could be faith. You know, Jesus said, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when He returns? Will He find faith? Will He find people waiting? Will He find people ready? Many people say that this oil, and it's constantly a picture in the Old Testament, of the Spirit of God. And you can see, that there, even in this fellowship right here, and in churches all across the county this morning, there is a, mixed, a mixture of people. Some who are saved and some who are not. 
Some who are ready for Christ to come back and some who are not. Some who are loving the world and living for the world and others who are walking in the Spirit. Look, the Bible said, talking about the Spirit, number one, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he won't see the Kingdom of Heaven. He won't be able to enter in. How are we born again? By the Spirit. It's not just about a, an outward religiousness. It's not just about an outward uh, presentation of religion. This is about a real and transformational a work of God in the heart and the inward being of a person's life. And you cannot fake it and you cannot get it from your parents. You cannot get it from your denomination. You cannot get it because you're an American. You have to secure that for yourself. My personal feeling is that what we have here, this oil, is the testimony, the works that are accompanying faith. You know, faith without works is dead, but works without faith are also dead. Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 1. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the, the pouring out of the Spirit, which he said, you have heard from me. For truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So get the picture here in Acts chapter 1. He's saying, hey, you've got to go to wait, for, wait in Jerusalem for this promise of God. He, Jesus said, I, I baptize, John baptized you with water. I'm going to baptize you, immerse you with the Spirit of God. You're going to, God. The Spirit of God is going to come and dwell in you and be upon you. You need that, church. This is what the kids were asking for at the retreat this week. And so they say, oh, great, you're going to come back and set the kingdom up now. And he says, well, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his authority. So, so what do we do? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. Let your light shine, church, so that people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When we speak of letting our light shine, we speak of being a witness, right? We speak of letting the world see what Jesus is all about, what He produces in a person's life. Where is the power that produces your ability to be a witness? The Spirit of God. The oil is the Spirit. I believe the lamp is our testimony. Personal, if you want to disagree with me, you can. We don't know for sure. What I know is this, that there is this saving grace. Unless you have the Spirit of God, you can have all the religion in the world. But unless you have, do not, if, unless you have the Spirit of God, you are not His. And you are unprepared to meet Him. And that will not be exposed until He comes. That's when it got exposed. Until then, everything looks the same. It's hard to tell in church who's who. Who's saved, who's not. We all kind of look the same. But there will be a day when the sheep will be separated from the goats. And the wheat and the tares will be separated. And this is the division that happens. Look, let's go on. Hey, our lamps are going out. They say, we can't give you our oil. You've got to have it for yourself. Folks, again, let me reiterate. You've got to have salvation by the Spirit, through grace, by faith, for yourself. You can't get it by, by your parents or your grandparents 
or on a, a church cannot give that to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? A church membership does not give you the Spirit. How do you get it? How do you get Him? By asking. And if you're sitting here and you're not sure that you're saved, then the Bible says, how much more God wants to give the Spirit to them that ask. Then you confess your sins. You repent and you turn away from your, your life of sin, your life in the world toward God. And, and by faith, you believe that God will fill you with His Spirit and keep filling you. Go buy for yourselves. Verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. So they went off to try to, to, to take care of business last minute. And that's when he came. And who went in? Those who were ready already. Those who were ready beforehand went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. That is one of the most sobering verses in the whole Bible. The whole Bible. Look, folks, you have one chance. And it is right now. It is given unto man once to die and then the judgment. You might see Jesus well before the second coming. And, and this is the thing. Are you ready? Are you ready to see Jesus? How do you know? What are you going to say when you see Him? Why should I let you in? Oh, because I wore the right clothes? Because I did this? Because I did that? Because... You gave me your engagement ring, the Holy Spirit. Because we are, I've joined myself to you, waiting for you to come and get me. I'm living my life by faith. I'm walking in the Spirit. While they went to, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, again, when it's time, some of you have said, well, I, you know, I don't have time to think about those things right now. I don't have time to... I got too, life is too busy, too much going on. I got, we got kids and they're involved in this and I got this to worry about and that to worry about. And you'll prepare for your retirement and you'll prepare for your kids' college and you'll prepare for all of these things and you'll leave unprepared the most important preparation of the whole eternity and that's preparation for eternity by being saved. And, and I met a guy who was 30 years old. I said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He said, I'm not really interested because I want to make my first million by the time I'm 30. So I'm working seven days a week because I'm saving up money. I'm starting a business and I want to go on with that. And He'll be washed away in the flood. Just like when, when Noah, he got on the ark and God shut him in. And imagine the horror of the people who had belittled his message and as the floods came, they clawed. As the waters rose, they clawed at the ark. I'm not trying to scare you. This is the reality. And that's why Jesus spends so much time telling us this. Because you can't say, well, I didn't know. The door was shut, in other words, to remain shut. Verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. So they went off to try to buy oil. Did they find it? Did they not? We don't know. The point is, it was too Late. Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Uh, just like back in Matthew 7 when, when they said, Oh, haven't we done these things in your name? And he says, Behold, you know, I never knew you. All these We've done all these things in your name. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You, you continued to live for yourself. 
you continued in in your sinful life. There's got to be works that come from faith, not religious works. These are works of faith. These are the things that drive us as Christians. Love. Mercy. These are the things that drive us, that, that, that own us, that, that compel us. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. So the, and it's too, how many of you are seeing that it's too late? It's too late at this point. And so therefore, verse 13, we have the exhortation. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The praise team can, can come on up. We'll, we'll end here in a few minutes. Next week we'll have the, the parable of the talents and we'll tell us more, each picture building on the next. Really the, the issue isn't so much what the oil is, specifically. The issue is, is that there were a group of people that outwardly looked like another group of people. But when time came and Jesus came and the, when the groom came, there was a huge difference. They were lacking the very thing that they needed at that time. Unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. You can be sitting in the seat. You know, it's, it, it boggles my mind. You know, I'll talk to some folks you know, here and there. And they hear the message time after time after time. And you'll sit here in these seats week after week and year after year. And, you're, and you'll say, well, I'm just kind of, I'm just checking it out. I'm just, just listening, you know, kind of trying to put it all together. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But the reason that altar calls started was because there is, in one sense, an urgency about salvation, isn't there? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the, the, the people on the Titanic or the people in Noah's Day. Put yourself in their sandals. And say, we don't know when. I don't know when. But I want to tell you that, that the opportunity is not tomorrow or next week or when the kids are out of the house and the dog dies and whatever else it is that keeps you from living. You know, what keeps your, your fire burning? Will you have a fire burning when Christ comes back? Ephesians, one more verse. Ephesians 5, Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. That's a good message for right about now, isn't it? (laughs) Alright. Awake, you who are warm and sweating. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but is wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I think these are parallel ideas. Look, I didn't write it. It's not my word. My job is to be the messenger with all of my heart, with all the passion. And for me in my house, I can say we've dealt with this issue. So I think, hey, I want to keep living ready for Jesus to come back. I want to keep living and walking in the Spirit. 
Keep my, my, the oil filled, the Spirit of God filling my life day after day. Lord, fill me today for the work You've called me to do. I want to occupy in good things till You come. But I know we have a mixed multitude. So while the, while the uh, praise team sings a final song, And ask yourself this question. Am I awake? Am I prepared? Am I holding vigil? Or am I in love with the world? And you know it. You know if it's you. Am I in love with the world? Or am I living for the Lord? And if you find yourself weighed in the balance and wanting then do business today. Don't wait till He comes to buy the oil. Buy it today. Come, all you who thirst. Ho, oh, everyone that thirsts. Come to the waters. You that have no money, come buy and eat. Isaiah would say, why do you spend your money on that which doesn't satisfy? So we'll just invite you to come. Let the Spirit of God guide you.